0: Welcome to the Final Score Network and the Final Score Podcast, presented by Team Anders Realtors. I'm Andy. He's former D3 student-athlete, two-year starter, consummate glue guy, and co-host. Ryan, jam, two-man monster flush. Off the inbound, Ryan, gam, slam, jam. Find us on Podbean, the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at TheFinalScore35. There is always plenty to run through, but before we get to it, a word from our presenting sponsor. Service from the heart to become your Realtors for real life is Team Anders Realtors' mission. Team Anders helps its clients find the home that best fits their needs and makes the process simple and fun along the way. Team Anders will be in close communication with you personally taking care of your real estate needs through technology, marketing, and advertising. They have served thousands of clients over 30 plus years in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area, and are here to serve you today. Learn more at teamanders.com. For a couple of college sports junkies, you'd think we'd have trouble finding topics week to week, but since we also clearly love golf, You can rest easy. We've got more than enough to weigh in on these days. No NBA or NHL playoffs this week, but maybe as those come closer to an end, NFL OTAs have been going on, but not much to report on the Lions yet, other than they may or may not be better than the replacements that took over the Washington Sentinels a few decades ago. If you haven't seen the movie, it's worth a watch if you can stand Keanu Reeves. This week, it's a little MSU hoops, a little Major League Baseball, a little golf, a little cancel culture rant. So, let's go to the podium. Ryan, the lectern is yours.
1: Yeah, I'm going to start off this week, uh, talk about something big that happened, I believe it was Saturday or Sunday, I can't remember which one, but Julio Jones was traded from the Atlanta Falcons to the Tennessee Titans, and this was been an ongoing saga for a couple weeks now. Um, I'm sure you all saw it, but if you didn't, uh, Shannon Sharp uh, on TV was on doing a show, Uh, with Skip Bayless, and um, he called Julio Jones without telling him that he was on TV and asked him, uh, are you going to get traded or what? And he basically said, yeah, I want to get the you-know-what out of Atlanta, um, done here. And then he told him after the fact that he was really on TV, and that kind of leaked that, starting a little drama there. um, It persisted for a couple weeks. Bush Um, league, shame. Yeah, and it put Julio in a really bad spot in acquisition, I'm sure, for the Falcons and for him. Uh, franchise was, was the only one he played for until uh, the Tennessee Titans now but uh, I think the Titans got an absolute steal out of this deal I mean I know the guy has a big contract um, and he's getting a little older but I mean this guy's been one of the top receivers in the NFL for a long time coming I mean you look at his stats I saw some things earlier looking at it now I mean he is the second most receiving yards only behind Jerry Rice through his first 10 seasons of the NFL that's pretty impressive. He's, above Torrey Holt, Marvin Harrison, and Randy Moss. Three all-time greats. And then um, he is second most in NFL history with five seasons with 1,400-plus receiving yards, second only behind Jerry Rice. So he's in good company there. Like I said, I think the Titans got a steal here unless he's a complete cancer. Um, They only gave up a second-round pick for him. Like I said, he might be worth a lot um, contract-wise, but... Uh, I mean, I think it's going to be worth it. Now they have another dynamic receiver to go along with, A.J. Brown, who's gotten better through the last couple of years that he's played. Uh, it's just a matter of Julio staying healthy. So the Titans uh, are looking up. We've got Tana Hills playing good football, um, A.J. Brown and Julio now, and then, of course, Derrick Henry, the monster. So uh, Titans could be a fierce competitor for the Chiefs there in the AFC.
0: Yeah, I saw something like their win stuff went up like less than a win for their total predicted wins but still that can make a difference their title chances went up and so on and so forth so something to keep an eye on for sure another weapon for Tannehill. all right uh i am going to um take it back to golf and i want to talk i'm guessing anybody who follows golf or sports at all has got to know this is probably coming from me given where i usually go with these segments riley shout out to you i know you love it when I uh, when I get into a little bit of politics here, um, but I want to talk about the PGA Tour and its epic, epic fail with the John Rahm situation. First of all, let's reiterate he was asymptomatic. I don't know all the facts of all the Fauci stuff that leaked last week, but there's a whole lot of stuff about how asymptomatic is a whole lot of nothing. So we'll leave that at that. But anyway. I'm not sure about this, what was more Bush League telling him in front of freaking TV cameras and what had to be a clear HIPAA violation, that he had a positive COVID test and had to withdraw, and then they of course make it so that he's withdrawing on his own. BS, you forced him to withdraw. Or the fact that the stupid withdrawal rule was still in place with most of the country open and fans getting in on their honor. They're not getting tested which is fine, because I wouldn't be getting tested myself if I had to go to something, we've already been over that. Cost the guy a win, it cost him two weeks prep, theoretically, for the US Open, and oh, by the way, just a cool 1.64 million, all right, as a top two, three player, or whatever he is in the world, the money isn't as big of a deal, but um, that's not something to sneeze at, wins don't come that easy in professional golf. Cancel culture, wins again, it's tiresome and laughable, all at once you couldn't have come up with a solution pga maybe let him play solo with a mask i mean really just played three full rounds with a series of guys none of them had to you know had any close contract withdrawal blah 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 this there this just it pisses me off there is not a safer game than golf amid a man-made politically and money-driven virus that kills about five times less than reported but that's besides the fact. Oh, and this just in from uh, a buddy who sent me a, an opinion article um, for my probably funny reaction, which he did laugh at my reaction, um, from USA Today. Not a stretch to say John Rahm's vaccine decision cost him $1.6 million. Take your vaccine requirements and shove them. You don't need to tell anybody what to do. It's not my business. It's not your business. It's his freaking choice. So if the question from them is, would you get vaccinated for 1.6 million? John Rahm is wishing he had. First of all, he's had his first shot. He just hasn't completed it. And you know what USA Today, liberal toilet paper at best these days. It's not a stretch to say the media has made this virus live longer than the virus itself. All right, off that rant, I could go on for a whole 45 minutes on this. It's garbage. I feel for you, John. I like even more now how you handled this class all the way. I'm rooting for you when you come back for the U.S. Open. And by the way, because of your withdrawal, I won another bet this week on FanDuel because I picked Patrick Cantlay to win. So that's my third win in about the last seven or so tournaments. So not a bad thing for me, although it wasn't exactly uh, $1.64 million that I won. My other bright spot was, I think last week we talked about, you know, Bryson DeChambeau talking about how he was living rent-free in, in uh, Brooksy's head. Um, I think it's the other way around there, old oh, bright uh, Bri- Brooksy teaming up with Michelob to give beer to fans, free beer to fans who were booted since Bryson and his caddy were having people tossed for calling him Brooksy. Um, brilliant. Great social media strategy. I'm wondering a little bit of some of this is manufactured now, but... Um, I'll say after last week, I wasn't a fan of either. I'm probably more of a fan of Brooks. I thought actually the way he came across in his video was great. He was more personable than ever. Need more of that Brooksy. Bryson can whatever. I just, uh, I'm tired of his shtick either way. But I've taken up enough time from my podium. So let's go to our tee-up of the week. Again, I'm going to tell you who or what. And Ryan's going to give you the why. The who what is the Mayweather-Paul- I'm doing air quotes here. Quote, unquote, fight over the weekend. Ryan, tell us why.
1: Yeah, so we all know Floyd Mayweather uh, may be one of the greatest boxers of all time. Um, I think he has a perfect record, if I'm not mistaken, but a guy that's made $500 million-plus in his last three exhibition fights alone. Um, that's just off fights. That's fights only. Not, not endorsements, not anything else, just three fights, which is... That's, um, he could lend some over here if he wanted to, but, um, I only need three million FU money. From what I heard, I've heard and read and seen, uh, this fight between Floyd Mayweather and Logan Paul, a former YouTuber. I don't know why he's fighting now, I don't really follow boxing too closely, but from what I heard and saw, there were terrible reviews of this. It was a money grabber. Um, Mayweather hardly threw any punches, Paul threw like 60 more punches or something than he did. Mayweather did or something like that. Um, but I, I digress. I mean, why would you pay to watch this garbage? It's it's You could YouTube it after the fact and get the same satisfaction. It's, it's Get a bootleg copy No or one cares. Like This is just a money grab, like I said. I mean, I think they said that Mayweather's going to make like $100 million off just this one alone, and this was a small one compared to like him versus McGregor. But, um... You know, and I also read something that said that Floyd has made made more money with this fight, with the endorsements and lead up, than Michael Jordan made in his whole NBA career off of his contracts. That is insane. Um, so uh, we're, we're going to tee up these guys. I don't get this. I don't know why they're doing these stupid little fights. Um, I'd like to tee it up because I would like to argue this is not... Maybe real boxing,
0: like back in the day, boxing, Ali, Frazier, etc. was a sport. None of this is a sport. Neither is UFC. It's just a bunch of drunks bar fighting that now they get to do it in a cage. BFD, get off my TV, stop wasting my space with UFC 9972. Tee him up! Alright. That all out of the way. Let's go to a more cheerful few segments let's go around the world Ryan spot number one let's talk a little bit about the recent Michigan State basketball staff changes I'll fire it over to you first
1: yeah so obviously um, Michigan State's made some staff changes here um, and just formally announced them yesterday as they started their uh, summer conditioning and practice stuff Um, so that's good to see them back there and doing stuff normally without a mask and all that good stuff um, but we obviously know that Dane Fife is no longer uh, at Mission State he's at IU, um, so Doug Wojcik took his place as a full-time head coach, moving over from recruiting coordinator, uh, former Izzo assistant, former head coach at Tulsa and College of Charleston as well. Uh, had some decent success there, and then came back a couple years ago. Um, now he's full-time on staff. Um, you know, like I said, he has head coaching experience and coached with Izzo in the past, so he knows what it takes. Um, Izzo loves continuity. So that's exactly why he's doing this, promoting uh, Coach Wojcik. Um, And Coach Wojcik seems like he is good with recruiting. Obviously, he was the coordinator, but he was big in getting Max Chrissy, a five star coming in this year from Michigan State, who uh, there's a really good chance he's going to start and play big minutes for us. So um, that's big on on Doug, and I know he's recruiting some other guys from Chicago area. So uh, good. I'm glad. Um, Doug Wojcik, I think that's a a nice hire there. Um, Mark Montgomery, back on staff, former Michigan State assistant and player, um, was last at Northern Illinois as their head coach for, I think, 10 years and then got let go um, during last year and then just kind of I think he was a volunteer assistant or something for U of D and then Izzo just hired him. Um, A guy that's also been there, been around the program for a long time, knows what it takes to move with, uh, to deal with Izzo and in his stuff, which is great, um, and he, he can recruit, so that's that's good news. Getting Monty back, uh, David Thomas, former director of basketball operations, moving on. Um, thanks, David, for your good work for Michigan State. We'll miss you, but um, some younger guys coming in. I think Garrett bringstool is is the new director of basketball ops. Uh, should be good. And then um, Matt McQuaid, Quato, he's back on back with the program. He's the new assistant director of basketball operations, um, I think this is huge for us, shows how much of a family affair Michigan State really is, um, and I'm just happy that he's back on, he's going to be able to connect with the younger guys, and he, I mean, he's just there a couple years ago, so glad to have Maddie back, and uh, I, I compare Izzo to uh, Nick Saban here, I mean Saban does this as well, bringing back former staffers that were head coaches and didn't work out, and give him some sort of position. It's it's He's the Saban of college basketball, so that's not a, a bad thing to say um, for Coach Tom Izzo.
0: No, and shout-out to DT, staying in the Spartan family, going to work with Paul Davis, um, former Spartan big man great, who's, a, I think he's one of the principals for a, some financial or insurance agency. So good luck to you, DT. Thanks for your um, efforts the last few years in that recruiting role. I think Monty's going to play a, a great role you know, role there. You know, it might just be a short term thing for him. Maybe it's a long-term thing. Um, I too, like Ryan love the continuity here. You know, maybe you wouldn't always like that so much in some programs, but with a clean, a clean program like Michigan state with someone like Izzo with his longevity. I mean, he bridges back to, he was an assistant coach of money when he was a point guard for Michigan state in the late eighties, early nineties, big 10 championship team and some good teams there. Um, you know, I like going with familiar guys and guys that are experienced. You know, Aquato doesn't obviously fit the experienced boat, but to Ryan's point, <coughs> you know, having a having a guy that's closer to the last Final Four that can bridge in, knows what it takes to step up big in, in games with onions like he did against Michigan a few times that year, like he did against Duke in the Elite Eight in that Final Four run. Um, You know, you're just you're sprinkled with guys. And then you got the familiarity of money and and, uh, DJ played together, Um, you know, which goes to one of my next couple questions I'm going to throw out and answer. And then I'm going to see what Ryan's take is, is how much longer does Izzo go? And then who's his replacement? Speaking of those guys. So I'm going to say. You Know Izzo's early 60s. Uh, we're gonna get to Coach K here in a later segment, but he's what 74, 75 by the It'll time be he retires. By um, you know, I'm not saying that Izzo's got another 14 years in him. I mean, it's funny you look back to replays of you know that 99, 2000, 2001 Final Four run uh, on TV versus now, dude has aged. Not surprisingly, he's in a stressful occupation, but. You know, I kind of think he's he, he's energized. He was a pretty subdued last year. I don't know if that was COVID. I don't know if those are results of his own take with COVID. I don't know if it was just the stress of the situation or whatever. I'm gonna assume that he's gonna come back refreshed this year. I can see him going another five to seven for sure. Um, maybe less if he gets a natty in here in the next few years, um, and maybe more. Who knows? I mean, as long as he loves it, he says he's gonna do it, and you know what, he does it the right way. He competes for Big Ten Championship, he chips, he competes for Final Fours. Um, I'd love to see him get one more natty just to kind of put him on the the next scale above everybody else. But um, I think he stays five to seven more years. Um, and as far as replacement, man, it's it's so hard to say. I could definitely see a guy like DJ. You know, he's been there. He's been his right-hand guy. He's had a couple chances to, to go. He's been close to a finalist for some mid-major things. Um Sometimes Maybe it's not so bad to, to stay in-house, you know, a la Izzo. We'll talk again a little bit more about that in the in the Coach K segment. But it wouldn't surprise me to see DJ. Um, you know, he's he's getting up there, but he's not super old. Five to seven years, he'd be mid-later 50s. You know, he'd still have a good 10, 12 years under his belt. Or, you know, could be a, a super young guy too. But, Ryan, what do you think? How much longer does Izzo go? Yeah, I, I completely
1: agree with you. Five to seven years is what I have in mind um, I think that he wants that second title bad, um, and if he doesn't get that, he probably wants at least two more Final Fours, so I could see him doing five, I could see him doing seven, I could see him doing ten, so I, I don't really know, It's he just really depends on his health and his uh, his his want to. Uh, but you really. look at D'Antonio, I
0: don't know, there's a picture circulating of him he the other looks day, great. he literally looks ten years looks younger great. since he's <laughs> retired, so... I don't know. Maybe Izzo will want that, but you know, his kids are obviously Steven's still there. But Brocky I think, is married now, or she's at least out of school. So you know, he's got nothing like that tying him down. Um, I mean, I'd love to see him stick around, just because he's just he's just good for the game, you know. And you hate to see the legends leave out. It'd be really interesting to see, and it's a topic we'll have to keep an eye on over the next few years about who his replacement.
1: Absolutely, might and then be. on replacement for him, I think that. DJ's a good option depending on how long and if he jumps ship for another job but the guy I'd really like to see is Nate Oates. Um, I think we've talked about that in the mm-hmm. past but that yeah. would be uh, very ideal uh, moving forward. like a
0: Dane Fife although I think we've also talked about that. I think that you know with the age of Woodson down at IU I you know I think Fife might be waiting for that job next. might be his setup there so we shall see. Uh, Spot number two, changing up sports. Last week it was pretty much all golf, so we're mixing it up a little bit more this week. Um, And I'm going to go first on this one. A little bit of talk on when did your interest in baseball peak? Notice I say peak because, as you notice, we rarely rarely ever talk about baseball here because it's boring. Um, And what is your favorite Tigers team ever and why? So... I'll go back, and I have to say, you know, when I was a kid, I, I loved baseball. Baseball was a different game, you know, in the late 70s, through the 80s, even to the early 90s, and I'd say my my fandom peaked in the late 80s, early 90s. Not all that has to do with the Tigers being good, although they they did have a couple playoff runs there in 84 and 87. It just it, just, it was just different. Like, if you're my age, you know what I mean. If you're Ryan's age, you don't know what that is necessarily, but you know, and I know you can still get baseball cards and stuff, but like baseball cards, that's what we did in the summer. We sat down and we sorted and we alphabetized and we did it by teams and we did it by positions and we found the duplicates and we traded and we, you know, you know, made great trades with our friends and, you know, felt like we fleeced them. And I just don't remember that ever being a thing for Ryan. I mean, there was a game, uh, my uncle Tom, who's really more like a big brother taught me stratomatic. They do still have that. And I taught Ryan that I learned how to do like, multiplication of division by keeping stats it was just like a, a dice and card baseball game i mean i could keep myself entertained by myself for hours playing that you know if you're my age you remember this week in baseball and twib notes um you know it was a show that you watched it was like before sports center was sports center and before you know 24 7 sports was around but it wasn't like it is now there was a lot more australian rules football and motocross and you know strongman competitions, than there were mainstream sports on on the cable networks back then. Um, So this week in baseball was like, that was the highlight show, and you were just hoping that you'd see your favorite player. You know, listening to Tigers games as far away as Indianapolis, and then when I moved to Detroit in 84 with Ernie and Paul and WJR, you know, I remember the day when the Cubs only played day games at Wrigley, didn't have lights, they were the last holdout. Um, You know, they were always, I think they're probably still on WGN, but I remember I'd go over to one of my friend's houses, his grandparents, and they would always have the Cubs game going during the day. You know, my, my buddy was, his name was Buddy. He's was a big baseball guy. He and I would play our own one-on-one pickup baseball games in the backyard. I mean, we would reenact games with lineups while playing in the backyard or wiffle ball, a wiffle ball taped up in the basement. You know, going to games, I, I think going to games is still an experience, but it's, more tricked out now. Back then it was just its own experience, like the smell of the hot dogs and the stale beer and just, I don't know, there's just a, just like there is for football, there's just something about going to a baseball game back then. Um, You know, and then for me, a strike or two hit, the game just got to be too damn slow. That was early mid-90s and and that was kind of all she wrote for me. I mean, I've gotten a little rekindled with Runs by the Cubs. I've never been, you know, necessarily a huge Cubs fan, I guess. If I had to pick a National League team, they'd be my team, but more because of the curse of the Billy Goat. Being at the Bartman game, and even the Red Sox, even though they were an old, hated AL East rival of the Tigers, you know, when they finally, you know, broke the curse of the Bambino, the last batch of great Tiger teams there in the late 2000s, early 2010s. Um, but again, we, and we've talked about this here, the season is too damn long. The games are way too slow. Just for me, it lost its luster. I don't know if it was more of a kid game or what. I don't know. I'd be interesting. It'll be interesting to hear Ryan's take. Um, my favorite Tigers team of all time—no surprise. For some of my age, is nineteen eighty-four. Bless you, boys. I mean, I can still recite the lineup up and down. I can recite the relievers. I can recite the starting pitchers. I mean, I, I knew that roster inside and out. Um, you know, I remember certain plays. I remember Chet Lemon misplaying a. A high pop-up that he lost in the sun and it hit him in the eye and I thought oh man our center fielder's gone for the season I mean just just little stuff like that um, Jack Morris threw a no-no early on at Chicago the team started off 35 and 5 I mean that's amazing and I think back actually they only won 100 only they won 104 games that year but after that blazing start they were actually kind of somewhat average but they had such a huge lead um, you know the World Series win that year of the Padres, the epic Gibby Goose Gossage showdown that still you know is a highlight real thing. Sparky, he don't want to pitch to you. he don't want to or he, he don't want to walk you. He wants you know whatever. Uh, and then Gibby takes him deep and seals the World Series there. Now that was when baseball was fun to me. It was you know, to borrow a line from Billy Bean and Moneyball is romantic, right? Today, not so much. So Ryan, Let's hear your take on on baseball.
1: Yeah, similar to you. Um, I mean, baseball is okay. I checking on the Tigers here and there. Uh, they're obviously not great right now. Haven't been for a while. Um, but I'd say when I was later elementary school, early middle school, uh, maybe even throughout middle school, was when my interest in baseball peaked. You know, I still have. I was looking through some old stuff the other day. I still have a you know, what ton of cards, uh, baseball cards, and I sorted them by team and stuff. And have all my like big time players in one pile and stuff, so it's kind of cool to see that. Um, you know, I think when I was growing up, I listened to the Tigers a lot. Going to bed, fell asleep listening to him. Dan Dickerson on the radio. Um, still, still, I think he's still calling for the Tigers. He's, he's a great voice. Um, you know, I think like you said, baseball is kind of boring, um, slow game. But I mean, when your team's good, it's a little more fun to watch. I remember watching the Tigers a pretty good amount honestly on, on FSD when they were playing really good baseball back with uh, smokes as the uh, as the uh, manager um, and just JV out there in the mound just remember always loving him um, you know I think for the first Tigers team I remember was that 06 team I remember watching their playoff run uh, to the World Series and eventually losing to oh, St. hit the or Donis against, hit the walk off home yeah. run against the A's at Comerica to win and go to and win the pennant. Um, that's a great great video if you haven't seen it. I think it for we listened to that on the way back from Michigan yeah, State that, Notre that, Dame or I something, loved didn't we? Watching you? that it's yeah, yeah. It's it's great. Um, that team is awesome to watch. That's the first one, like I said, I really remember um, and followed them for a while. My favorite team um, was probably the 2012 team that lost in the World Series. San Francisco, I mean, they were pretty freaking good. I mean, their starting pitching staff was had Justin Verlander, who's obviously amazing, uh, Max Scherzer, who's a great great pitcher, Doug Fister who was really good that year, Rick Porcello, and then had Papa Grande, Jose Valverde, with the goggles as the Closer.
0: He was was akin to Aurelio Senior Smoke Lopez, although Lopez wasn't the closer. He was a setup guy for the Tigers, but the Tigers in '84 had Willie Hernandez, Cy Young, and MVP award winner that year. Same thing, you know, Hispanic dude that had the curly, the fro sticking out of his hat that threw a mean screwball and just was unhittable. It would actually be really fun. I'll let you finish here in a second, but it would be really fun in one of these podcasts, and we should do it, is like compare. That '84 lineup to that year's lineup, and because I, I bet you, like player for player, there's so many similarities. Oh, like yeah. Polanco and Lou Whitaker. I mean 16, Trammell's yeah. way better than Guillen, but just I mean, and obviously we had Miggy um, versus Daryl Evans, though. but I mean, it, just yeah, it would be. We'll have to do that. Remind me, and we'll do that. But yeah, go ahead, keep I was going. honestly
1: just gonna read through this 2012 lineup. So this is probably the Tigers' last great year. Um, well last World Series I guess and the next year they lost to the Sox in the, in the uh, ALCS but they had Avila at catcher fielder at first base Infante at second base Johnny Peralta oh, at shortstop uh, Cabrera played third and also DH um, Andy Dirks was left field Austin Jackson center field Brennan Bosch right field Delman Young designated hitter um, they, they had a really nice team um, then after that they went out and, the next year I think and got Victor um, and he was really good for a few years for the Tigers, but that was just a really fun team to watch. They could hit it. Um, it was just, yeah, that's the last good year um, that I can remember aside from 2013, and I don't know if we've made the playoffs. Um, Smokes was the, 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 the thread that was holding the Tigers together, I guess, um, and he's obviously been gone for a while now, so hopefully in the future the Tigers can get back to, Playing good ball and maybe get back in the playoff hunt and be more interesting for us to watch.
0: Yeah, I mean, baseball is probably, it's like any sport, right? It's more fun to follow when your team's good. I mean, except for maybe the Lions, just because you have a limited amount of games. So it's kind of like it's the season, regardless. You know, baseball is so long. If they don't catch your interest early, it's it's kind of tough. But um, yeah, I mean, it's easy to get romantic about those fun days of baseball. And even when you watch a movie like Trouble with a Curve or Moneyball or the Natural or Sandlot or whatever, you can see why you have a love affair. They just, I wish they would fix some things about the game that would speed it up, speed the season up, shorten the season, speed, put, I don't know, there's just too much dinking around for me, it's gotta be faster. And maybe I guess if your team was great, you wouldn't care if the games went for five hours, but that's where we are today, so. Um, So our first baseball spot there in a while. Spot number three, um, we're gonna go back to golf we're going to finish up our mount rushmore that we started a few weeks ago uh mount rushmore of golf holes this time we're going to talk the best four par fives in golf um we'll go back and forth and see if we've got any the same i'm going to guess that we do because some of mine certainly probably wouldn't be a surprise but um ryan go ahead uh lead us off
1: yeah i'm going to start with uh beth page black number four if you have watched uh good amount of golf, you know Bethpage Black and how challenging that course is. Uh, it's been used for the US Open and for the PGA a few times. Um, number four, it's a, it's a uphill par five at the end, uh, 517 yards, not overly long, but like I said, uphill, bunkers everywhere, kind of a dip in the fairway, kind of dog legs at the end, really fun hole to to watch on TV. I always remember playing it on video games growing up. So. Have that up
0: up there. I'm going to cheat and start with a pair 13 and 15 at Augusta. Um, They are Sunday game changers. Holes you can eagle or triple just like that. They're not overpoweringly long necessarily, even with some of the more recent changes at Augusta. They're just gorgeous shot placement focused holes with typically diabolical pin placements, especially 15. 15, if you're, you know, you'd be sitting 230, 220, 230 out to a narrow green not narrow but um shallow green um with water behind it we saw some, the leader this year or no yeah somebody who was it that went in the water this year on yeah shawfly did on, over the hole right i think so. That. Yeah. no that was the part no that was hideki that went long yeah it was think, hideki yeah. went long and put it in the water i mean it's just so a game, you know not they're first of all they're beautiful because it's augusta but just for me just because of what they mean to professional golf um, obviously, there are not two holes that I'll ever sniff in my life, lifetime to actually play. Maybe, hopefully, we'll get patron seats or tickets some year. But, um, so those are my two. Ryan, what's your, what's your second one?
1: Yeah, I had uh, number 18 at Capaloo. I'm sure you have that on there. You, you played that course. Mm-hmm. But um, always have loved that whole beautiful view. Downhill, uh, big ravine there on the left. Very 650 long 650 yards and usually could be in the prevailing wind. Um, yep. Just beautiful golf hole, um, you know. Looking people, out over the Pacific, people have won yeah. and lost the uh, tournament of champions because of that hole. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's a reason it's the
0: main playoff hole yeah, over and over and, and over a, again, it's too. A great hole Fun to it. play on the video game, too. I definitely had that on my list. Um, it does not play 650 for average joe golfers that's for sure yeah if it did it'd be a par six even with it being downhill i mean that's i mean that is a long long way and it's not an easy hole either because everything slopes left so you can think you're if you're flirting at all with the left you're in you're in the shrub filled gorge and you're you're dead meat so uh, i did have that one too so i'll go to my third um it probably ryan this would be on your list i would guess number 18 at pebble beach I mean, really, is there any other par 5 that is more etched in your mind as a golfer? The lone cypress in the fairway, the coast on the left, the waves crashing. Just an epically beautiful hole, um, you know, where, um, oh, is it escaping me now? When the U.S. opened there a couple of years ago. Woodland, yeah, Goodland, yeah. Buried the long putt to seal the mm-hmm. deal there. You know, lots of uh, at and championships there, you know, at least probably four or five U.S. Opens in my lifetime. Um, a hole that I can't wait to play, that's the great thing about that one, just like Kapalua, is those are not only amazing holes that you can see on TV, but they're amazing holes that if you're willing to dole out the cash, you can go play. So how about your third choice,
1: Ryan? Yeah, I thought that you would have that on there, Pebble Beach, so I wanted to go different. Um, and I'm going to go to one that that we have seen in person, a hole that we spectated on at a golf tournament, number 16 at Firestone Country Club in Akron, Ohio, uh, formerly home of the WGC Bridgestone Invite. Very long hole uh, downhill, there's water at the end. I remember when we watched Phil bomb one down there and watch it roll. Um, Nicknamed the monster for a reason, 667 yards. Obviously doesn't play like it because it's downhill, but still long ways. Pretty pull. narrow too, if very I were like two, two big yeah. trees on
0: kind of like the little bend there, if I'm yeah, remembering very correctly. long, it's really
1: pretty. Um, down by the green, lots of rocks, and then there's a bunker also guarding right after the water, uh, so. I, yeah, water definitely in play on that hole too. Yeah, that's,
0: that's a really good choice. Um, and I'm gonna go local for my last choice. I'm gonna go Arcadia Bluffs, number five. Um, could have gone with number 11 as well, because that is also gorgeous, except for I've never had anything probably better than 11 on that hole. So we'll go with Arcadia Bluffs number five. Uh, if, if you've never played the course, if you live in Michigan, bite the bullet, go. If you're cheap, go in the spring, go in the, in the fall and play it. Trust me, it'll be at the top of your list. Um, it's the first hole, that not the first hole with views, but that really goes right to Lake Michigan. Of course, you're up on the bluff, so it's not like you're down to the beach, but... You know, 583 yards, um, you know, pretty long, but it's what's interesting is, and it's typically into the wind because it goes to the west right towards the lake, it's a little bit downhill. Um, the dog leg is at the, like, last 100 yards or so, so it's one of those where if you had a, you know, with that big turn, if you had a huge drive, you're starting to think about, do I take a three wood and go over kind of all the fescue and wasteland um, and take a chance except for it's a three-tiered green yes three tiers and i've been on the top tier with the pin on the front and six putted before um you know so that's a consideration or do you just lay up and you try to wedge it closer on the right tier uh you know there's a huge waste bunker on the front left there's a big runoff just beyond that so anything that goes left there there's fescue all around it fescue in front of it um you know it's just it's a cut the corner if you dare get home and two choice or just a classic par five with a great view easy to get swept up in it especially on a sunny calm day um i got that on my list for sure um fortunately partly because i'm fortunate enough to have played it a handful of times how about you ryan what's your fourth yeah, my
1: last one uh valhalla number 18 um yeah, was... for the pga it's <laughs> called game over um not overly long, but the greens really Tiger and undulated. Bob May, right? Yeah, just down to the wire there. Um, Rory who was the last major mm-hmm. one. Was that Valhalla? Walk, lots of water. There was a Ryder front. Cup there, I think recently. Yep, it know? was semi recently. Yep. Big fairway bunkers, 545 yards. So, like I said, not overly long, but a beautiful golf hole. And I think they're hosting in 2024 again. So uh, all we'll I know soon.
0: is. Ryan is supposed to punch me in the face if I ever take out more than a 7-iron the next time I hit a good drive on a par 5 because I am no longer allowed to try for them in 2 because bad things happen, I lose matches, and all hell breaks loose. So, as great as par 5s are, I'm playing them safe from now on. Alright, spot number 4. Let's take it back to college some hot college hoops news of the week. We teased it a little bit in our first spot with Coach K calling it quits. And I'll go first here. Will Duke basketball ever be the same again? So I'm going to give you a couple of good comparisons here first before I answer that question. Let's talk about some of the blue bloods after huge coaching changes. UCLA, obviously John Wooden won 10 in like 12 years. Since then, they've won one title. They've had five Final Fours since 1975 and 10 coaches. That would be on the side of, eh, pretty mediocre. Minus, you know, this year's run, notwithstanding. Indiana, probably another good comparison, especially because um, Coach K was was a Bobby Knight coaching tree guy. Zero titles, lots of trouble, if anything. One final four. One. After Bobby won three national championships, only even three Big Ten titles. Five plus coaches, including new coach Mike Woodson, and that the plus is Dan Dickich, Dickich, because it doesn't really count. He's not really a coach. Um, that is definitely in the in the vein of if Duke goes that direction. There's going to be a lot of unhappy fans for a really long time. I don't think Cameron will ever be empty. Just like Assembly Hall is never empty, but um, that's a, that's a good potential comparison. All right, let's swing it to the other way a little bit rival North Carolina after Dean Smith left in 1997 three titles seven final fours Williams obviously when he came in from Kansas it was much more established despite not having any titles there he was kind of the perennial you know you know they like Cinderella one of the stepsisters he never could quite kind of get it done and then he took him over the hump at North Carolina um, a little different than the Shire situation but uh, you know, a fair comparison as another Blue Blood. Um, and interestingly, Hubert Davis is only their fourth coach since Smith left in 97. So, you know, Williams was there the most of that time. Um, you know, so that's that's an interesting potential comparison. How about Kentucky after Adolph Rupp left in, way back in 1972? They've had six coaches since then. I mean, you've had Patino and Cal, and they've won national titles. They've actually had four titles and 11 final Fours. So you could argue they've you know, kept it going pretty well. They had Joe B. Hall, they had Eddie Sutton, they had some probation Billy things Gillespie. like that. Billy, Billy Gillespie, that was a mess. Um, but obviously, they also had Patino and they had Coach yeah. Cal. Uh, I'm not really ready to anoint Shire as either of those because he doesn't have that experience. Um, then let's go, with speaking of Patino in Louisville, after Denny Crum. he was there forever, like 1971 to 2001. They've had one vacated title. And three Final Fours, two of them vacated. Since he left, that was all in, with Patino. They've had a whole lot of trouble. Um, but again, that was, even then, I think it was Patino was their first coach after Crum left. Yes, he obviously had already won at Kentucky, so already had experience. So here's one that I think is an interesting comparison. Um, our buddy and former guest Polo would disagree to put Judd Certainly in Coach K's category, fair enough. RIP Judd, great guy. Obviously didn't have the credentials quite of Coach K. But MSU after Judd going to one coach. Tom is a one title, eight Final Fours, a lot of Big Tens, long-time assistant. Hadn't been anywhere else, minus a six-week stint at Tulsa. Went from GA to assistant coach at Michigan State. Only knew Michigan State. Struggled in his first couple of years. Almost got fired, I remember. I mean, they lost a U U of D for a third straight year, and people were ready to fire him, and then, boom, the light switched. And some of the recruits started to really kind of come through, and people bought in. Um, so I've given you some good examples there. And, and I'm going to say it's hard to say. Of course it's hard to say, right? You, you just never know. So will they be more like UCLA, or will they be more like rival North Carolina? Or will they be like Kentucky? Or will they be like Michigan State? Former uh, player Matt Doherty at UNC didn't fare all that well, and he was just—he was a coach removed from Smith. So I wonder how will Shire do? Will he be more like Izzo, who only knew Michigan State? Shire only knows Duke. Um, he's about the same age that Coach K was when he came in. Um, you know, I—I'm I, definitely going to bet on some ups and downs with more mediocrity than not for a while after this gets going. Um, I'm gonna need a couple of years to see if he can have some breakthroughs. Right now, I'm gonna leave it at this. Look at how other Duke coaches, uh, assistant coaches that have gone on to coach elsewhere have fared as an example. You know, Woj at Marquette, um, Collins has done pretty well at Northwestern, got him to the tournament, but they're still usually a losing team.
1: Johnny Dawkins got fired. Johnny
0: Dawkins fired. Tommy Amaker, run out of Michigan.
1: Uh, Capel's been okay at Capel's been okay
0: at Pitt. I don't know. I, I, I'm not going to say I'm rooting for you because I absolutely can't stand you, Duke, but um, I don't think that Shire will be an Izzo-like situation for Coach K. I'm going to go that Duke's going to struggle more along the lines of Indiana um, and just kind of finding their footing. But I'll tell you what, we will know more by 2025. If he starts off hot and recruiting stays hot because of the name, that's a whole other ballgame. But all of a sudden you lose your USA basketball coach. Mm -hmm. I don't know, a lot of those great things. Buildings and, and program legacies only recruit for so long, just ask Indiana. All right, Ryan, that was a lot, but what are your thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah,
1: I mean, obviously huge news with Kay announcing this is last year. I mean, an absolute legend. As much as I don't care for Duke, I mean, he's probably one of the best, one, if not the best coach in college basketball history, most wins, whatnot. Um, but, yeah, just because I'll, I'll stick with next year. I think Duke could freaking win it all next year just because that's how it works. Um, this is last year, and it's Coach Kay, and it's Duke. so They lost lot. a lot. Yeah, so but we'll they'll, probably, they'll find a way to be. I mean, they're always. So minus yeah, this year. Except for right this year, there, right? Yeah. Yeah. But you can see them winning all see them not doing great. But, um, you know, I think, like you said, I, I compare them to being like Indiana for a while after uh, K is done. Um, you know, I think Shire, it's a very interesting hire. I mean, obviously, he's their top assistant right now. And he just, he literally feels like yesterday he was just playing, and he was. I mean, he, he was on their 2010 national title team. He's only 33, right? Yeah, he's or very like young. Uh, he he kind of looks like like uh, Brad Stevens a bit, which is kind of funny with those glasses. But I, I do think that Shire could be good. I mean, he's been groomed by Kay. I mean, he played for him. He knows what it takes. He's seen other really good assistant coaches. He's learned a lot. He learned from one of the best to ever do it. But this... This former player thing is becoming—that's like, the most popular hire right now. I mean, Woodson, Joanne Howard. Uh, just, I mean, I, those are the first two off the top of my head. Obviously, way more. But maybe they should have gone after Bobby. Hubert early. Davis. I mean, it's—it's it's crazy. I mean, they could have yeah. honestly yeah. Christian Christian Laettner. Yeah,
0: Liener. Cherokee Parks.
1: Yeah, I think that. But this—I think the pressure to succeed is going to be overwhelmingly high for Shire. I mean. Duke has those expectations. They had the very long tourney streak snap this past year, but they've won a lot of national championships. Uh, they know, they t- they've tasted greatness. And I, I think that after a few years, I think he'll have a bit of a, a, um, a few years grace period for a couple years. Um, and after two or three years, if he's not getting it done, they're probably gonna run him out of town. Um, do I think he can handle this? I think that he needs to come up with a veteran staff. um, Like like, Woodson did. Like Woodson and Juwan Howard Howard have Mm -hmm. done, um, respectively at IU in Michigan, um, to kind of bridge that that gap there and kind of learn from those guys and have them teach a little bit and maybe not have all that on your back. But I think that Duke will be fine. I don't think that they're going to be horrible by any means, but I just don't think they're going to be on the level that they have been. Um, for the last I mean since what the late 80s with K um, yeah. I think they'll be average like IU first final four until they get something else um, I think I think the he's retaining Nolan Smith as one of his top assistants who also played on that 2010 team so a couple of young that's guys that's one without yeah. a lot of a lot of experience but um, to younger uh, to younger guys who know who don't know a ton about college basketball from the way way back they could see oh these guys played not too long ago and they were successful so maybe they they can they can coach me up and they like younger guys so uh, could be good for recruiting could not be so we'll see we'll see how that that goes with coach Shire but um, congrats to coach K and a great career Uh, don't like Duke in the least bit but I admit he is one of the goats uh, when it comes to college basketball. Yep, for sure.
0: It'll be interesting, which I think he'll definitely, you got the gamut there of those Blue Bloods or former Blue Bloods. Um, he's going to fall into line of one of those for sure. All right, spot number five. It's going to go back to golf for our fifth and final spot. Um, got to get to a rating because we play every Saturday, and if we play someplace new, we're going to share them with you. This week we're ranking a sneaky good course nestled high above downtown grand rapids the mines called the mines because it sits on the very old gypsum mines Mm -hmm. um, that run around the northwest side of grand rapids there where uh, gypsum of course used for drywall but um, really really cool track that is definitely worth playing. Ryan, I'll let you give an overview first before I give my thoughts on it. Yeah,
1: like you said, uh, sneaky good track. I mean, if you're not from around the Grand Rapids area, you might not even know about it. I I hadn't honestly played it until three or four years ago. Um, I played it at least once, maybe even twice every summer since. Uh, always, Always impressed by the course. Really fun to play. Not overly long. Um, Only by, two par fives. Yeah, by any stretch of the imagination. Shorter par fours, um, a couple drivable ones. Um, but th- the course is extremely undulated, um, so it's not, not easy by any and stretch tight. of the imagination. Very tight. Some are open, um, a lot of tight. No water on the course whatsoever, which is really interesting. Not to lose a
0: ball in and
1: not to drink when you yeah. played when it was 90 yep, degrees. exactly. Um, like I said, shorter course, but definitely get in trouble with a mishit, which happens a lot with me. Um, getting it's, it was very crowded good to see that um, they're getting a lot of play not open on Sundays um, you know I think that this is definitely a course I would play multiple times this summer probably not one I'd want to play all the time but definitely a really really fun one interesting holes interesting layout uh, Mike DeVries um, great course he's a great designer uh, done pilgrims which is we'll, we'll get to later here in the summer probably my favorite course mm-hmm. around here as well as Diamond Springs down in Hamilton, a really sneaky, this one, didn't he? sneaky track. Yep. Creek? No, he didn't do that. Oh, that he didn't was, do Boulder Creek. That was his cousin or something. Oh, okay. But um, yeah, that's cousin what I got Eddie. for the mines' favorite hole. Um, we'll probably get to that. Well, I'll say it now, uh, number four, short par four. Um, it's got like a volcano green almost. It's like an up, uh, an up. A tee box that's up on a hill that goes downhill, then goes uphill to the green, really skinny like green. Like 280 yards. Yeah, not 80. very long, but a tricky green, like I said, not not very long. Very fat, but very skinny um, vertically. So, uh, yeah, that's my favorite hole there, and then we'll see what you have to yeah, say. Yeah, so my
0: overview, I agree with a lot of it. I mean, I think it's a it's a great course. It's got you know visual interest. Um, It's got some variety of holes. We'll get the variety in a little bit. Um, It isn't overly long, so for old, aging, not great long hitters like me, it's, you know, it's gettable, right? Like, the the par fives are tough. They're two tough holes, and they're pretty long. They're meaty par fives, not short par fives. Um, You know, just in general definitely a course that's worth playing multiple times a summer we usually only play it once just and it's reason, pretty reasonable yeah pretty well. reasonably priced we you know we kind of have our rota so it, we usually hit it a little bit earlier may june um always in good shape when we play it pretty busy this time um you know a, a little bit slower than than ryan and i would like but still enjoyable except for it was hot and there was no water on the course but that's besides the fact. Um, you know. Playable by different skill sets, you know, plenty of things to just kind of please the eye, you know, if you're pushing right, you can play for it. If you're pulling left, you can play for it, you know, so it's a playable course, um, you know, definitely one that's probably one of my top, I would say probably one of my top five or so in this area that I like to play. I mean, I definitely could play it more than once. I'm honestly surprised at how, how well they keep up the course how well everything goes with no Sunday play. I mean, if you imagine, obviously, if you split your weekend in half and that's your busy time, um, they must be doing something right during the week too, because they're they're sticking with their their Dutch roots and staying closed on Sunday, but um, I can even only imagine what else they could put in the course if they had Sunday revenue too. Best hole for me, boy, number four, we had somebody actually literally landed on the green because we were out of sight for them on that short hole. I would say, I think my favorite hole is actually number six, which is after the one par five on the front, it's an iron off the tee. I mean, you could hit a driver, but it gets really skinny. It's kind of tight. Tee box is tight to the right with trees down the right. Um, you got some you know, fairly wide landing area if you choose to go with a hybrid or an iron off the tee. Then it narrows up and you got bunker, a series of bunkers and you've got a green that kind of runs really it's pretty shallow but it's pretty wide very undulated um you know it's a hole that you probably could drive if you could count on hitting it straight um but just a, a thinking man's hole um it kind of makes you consider what you're doing it goes back to the east so typically you're probably with the prevailing wind at your back so there's just lots of decisions to make on that so if that's what i would go with the best hole i think Ryan how about hole you would change replace or skip if you could
1: yeah you know I don't think that there's any that I would um want to get rid of or skip I think they're all interesting um in their own way um yeah I don't think I'd do anything
0: yeah I think the hole that I would skip is 18 um I don't know that I've ever taken better than a double bogey on that hole it's a long par 4 it's a 400 some yard par 4 um you know it's not overly tight but yet it is it's like tight to the right so if you're a, a cutter or a slicer or whatever if you're not aiming way left you're in trouble um it narrows out and skinnies out down towards the green that's one i would, I would skip especially the last time I, had, I ended triple triple and blew my match with ryan um partially because 17 is a par five that i decided to get greedy on with 243 out and try to hit which was going to give me no benefit the way that hole is set up so um, all right, let's rate through the course. Scale of one to five.
1: What do you rate it for the greens, Ryan? Yeah, I'll give it a four on the greens. Um, they're, they're pretty fast, um, in good shape. I Probably the worst putting display I've had in the yeah, last a Yeah, for about years. the first
0: 12, 13 holes, Ryan had one two putt. It was
1: all one putts or three putts. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I'm, I've been putting. That's been my saving grace here for the last, ever since this year started, putting has been in it went to hell on saturday it didn't help but still a good good very good greens sure.
0: yeah i would i would definitely um, give it i would say a 4 as well i mean 4 is a pretty high rating for the way that i rank them but for speed for feel the greens are in good shape you know it's one of those few courses that people are take pretty good care of it with in, with regard to ball marks greens are varying sizes they've got lots of different break to them you know they can put the pins in pretty tasty positions so i definitely would give it a four on the greens as well scenery wise you know of course you can't rate against like an arcadia bluffs or a you know um harbor town scenery wise but you know for what it is kind of cut out of the mines um you know some waste bunkers and that kind of stuff you know i'd give it a solid three and a half it's it's a good inland we'll say inland course um there's definitely a lot worse around here and you know, there's a few that are better too that we'll get to. Like Ryan said, Pilgrims Rum, but I'd, I'd give it a good three and a half, maybe more like three and three quarter for scenery. How about you, Ryan? Yeah, I'll
1: will go three, three point seven five. Like you said, I think it's got some really nice views. You can kind of see, um, you know, far away. You can see uh, almost see downtown Grand Rapids. I mean, the highways right there, which isn't great. Um, can't really see it because of the trees. But yeah, it's not it's not terrible, um, but not obviously the best.
0: How about for variety?
1: Yeah, I think, I think it's not, I'd give it a three on variety. I, I think that it's a lot of shorter holes. I mean, there are some long ones thrown in there. It's mostly could, par fours. Right, I think they could mix it up a little bit more um, to make it a little more interesting, but still, that's nothing
0: bad. Yeah, I think the hard part on the variety is that the lengthier par fours happen coming in. So they're like 13... 14 16 18 they're all pushing four or four plus um you know from the blue tees so not even from the tips but from the blues and it's um you know so you're like lulled into this hey i could drive this hey this is driver you know sand wedge to get into and then all of a sudden it's you know driver mid iron or driver long iron or or whatever and it gets a lot harder so it's kind of like you need to you need to save up your energy for the end. So for variety, I, you know, I would give it a three as well. I, I like a few more um, interesting par threes. I will say number eight is a pretty spectacular par three. And I wish they were all a little bit more like that, maybe in terms of variety. Um, overall, you know I'd give it a good solid 3.75. I mean, it's a course that I definitely look forward to playing. Um, I wouldn't mind if we played it again this year. Um, there's you know, a lot of courses I'm just fine playing just once, and, and that's good. But the Mines is a course that I could definitely play a handful of times, so that's what I'd give it there. What about you, Ryan?
1: Yeah, uh, completely agree with you. I don't have anything different to say uh, to bore the listeners. Um, no more filler. That's, I agree with you.
0: All right. With that, let's end, as we always do, with a sprint. Based on my podium, bigger screw job. The John Rom situation this weekend, or the blown PI call for the Saints in the NFC title game a few years back?
1: Yeah, I think they're both terrible. I mean, the Rom situation is very unfortunate, um, but I'm going to go with the Saints one here because that cost them maybe making it to a Super Bowl. Who knows if they would have scored a touchdown there, but still, I think that if this was the U.S. Open or, or another major, I would definitely go with Rom, but since it was. I mean, the Memorial's big, but I'm, I'm going to go with the Saints because Super Bowl is on the line. All right. If you could replicate any golf hole in your backyard, what would it be? Um, easy, 17 at TPC Sawgrass, but I'd make it so it's in Michigan so that I could just dive in the water and get all the balls I lost on. No gators. No gators, yeah. <laughs> all
0: right. This one's probably pretty easy for you because I don't think you ever were to one of them, but Copa or Tiger Stadium?
1: Yeah, I've never, never went to Tiger Stadium, so Comerica is what it's going to be
0: and well keeping our keeping our baseball on what's your walkout song
1: yeah I kind of went back and forth on a few of the with a few songs but I, I I had a different one in mind and then I heard this song today when I was working out and I'm going to stick with it I'm Bad by LL Cool J oh that is a good one that's a really good one I'd, I'd be on
0: the, ba- on the on deck circle rapping it the whole time though since I know all the words that's my my jam from back in the 80s all right, my sprint. Um, bigger screw job. I got to go. Rom. I mean, it was a one point six four million dollars. He had a six stroke lead. He wasn't going to blow that lead. I mean, yeah, I get it. Things happen, but I don't know. I just the Saints still had work to do. It's not like that was the, the game clinching call right there. Uh, so I'm going Rom. Replicate any hole in your backyard. Got to agree. It's got to be Sawgrass number seventeen. Uh, you know, you could even go like Jim Nance has. Well, pebble beach number seven in his backyard it doesn't have to be the full length although that's only like 115 yards or so so or something like that so you could you could easily do it but i agree freshwater pond uh, no gators uh copa or Tar- tiger stadium bring me back to michigan and trumbull baby tiger stadium you know 440 foot center field squared off obstructed views with the posts uh, i was in a commercial there when i worked for intern for passports back in the day Uh, give me tiger stadium baby enough of these newfangled stadiums with all the bells and whistles i want the urinal troughs and Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the in the crazy uh uncomfortable views and so on and so forth plus that thing sat like close to 50 for the world series in 84 walkout song i'm going with a little bit of uh something to get you jamming from back in the 80s hot for teacher by van halen Alright Ryan, give us some final social media reminders.
1: Yep. As always as always, just a reminder to follow us on Twitter at the final score thirty-five. Once we get more followers, we will start to tweet out more and interact more with our with our followers. Um, so we're trying to grow that. Uh, we thank you guys for listening. Appreciate you. Thank you to Team Angers Realty for your uh, sponsorship of this podcast. Uh, if you have anything for us, uh please do not hesitate to let either of us know via social media or text. Um, we're open to suggestions for uh, guests, for topics, for a- anything you want. So um, thank you, guys. Since Miller Lite is my
0: um, go-to beer for the podcast, I'll say whoever distributes Miller Lite in the West Michigan area, if you want to be a sponsor, uh, we'd be more than happy to trade mentions mm-hmm. for beer. Um <laughs> that 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 said that's it for this week we've got plenty of sports goodness in front of us of course so we'll come up with another batch to entertain you next week as ryan said share your likes your dislikes your ideas etc via our twitter and if you have a hot topic for us to debate do let us know thank you as he said and as i will say too again to team Anders realtors our presenting sponsor Learn more about how Team Anders can help you with your realty needs at teamanders.com. Meantime, I think of all the education that I've missed, but then my homework was never quite like this.